Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising, and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shites. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Shekhar Dishpandi, one of the world's great strategists who also likes to strum a tune on the guitar, Shaker leads strategy and thought leadership for Facebook's global clients team. Prior to that, he spent nearly two decades at the creative agency J. Walter Thompson across Bangalore and then London, where he arrived in 2006 with dreams of playing cricket for England. He's had work awarded at some of the world's leading festivals, including Cannes, performed judging duties at strategy awards like the Global Effies, and is a hugely committed mentor to young talent. Shaker says, be interested, specifically be interested in three things, brands, people, and ideas. Welcome to the show, Shaker. Thank you very much, Giles. Thanks for having me. Seven quickfire questions, Shaker. So Mac or PC? Mac at home, PC at work. London or Bangalore? Ooh. Oh, oh no, <laughs> Bangalore. TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Be different or be distinct? Be distinct. Nice. Freddie Flintoff or Freddie Mercury? Flintoff. Two more. The Ashes or the Effies? The Ashes. <laughs> and last one. Gareth Bale or Gareth Price? Nothing over Gareth Price. <laughs> well answered amazing well um uh, shaker thank you so much for joining us we we always like to kick things off by asking our guests how their journey began and and mostly because we like to celebrate the the often quite remarkable routes that guests take in in, in their career so how how did it all start for you I know that I've, I've heard, uh, let me just go back to, I should have said Freddie Mercury, but anyway, the time is gone. <laughs> let me just go back to uh, some of the podcasts that I've been listening of yours. And uh, mine's going to be quite a disappointing answer because in India, you just educate yourself as much as you can. You generally don't do jobs of uh, waitresses or cleaning toilets or anything of the kind or assisting magicians. Uh, and you just uh, go ahead and finish off your education and then you get into your final place of work. But that said, I went to university, then I did an MBA in marketing and finance. And the first job I was offered was actually in Anderson Consulting, which then became Accenture, obviously. Uh, And I declined that job because in my second year of MBA, I had had this one course in advertising which had been co-taught by two people who came in to do some guest lectures. One of them was from J. Ward Thompson, uh, and one of them was a media person from Ogilvy. And I was so impressed by what they did and how they came across that I declined the Anderson job offer, and I kept looking. And in two days' time, I landed a job at Lintas. 
as an account executive, Lintas is now called Low. It's had many name changes. And the first job I did was an account guy uh, working on the Johnson & Johnson account. And I was uh, I was doing really interesting things such as waiting at a recording studio till 5 a.m. to pick up the high band umatic tape so that I could take it to the airport uh, for an early career so that it could reach the media channel so that it could be you know telecast the next day or uh, doing little things that there were these things called bromides in my time in the mid 90s where you had to you had to create a, a physical form of a press ad and sometimes the spelling was wrong so you had to cut out a small little tiny a and then replace it with an e and do stuff like that and i did wonder at the time uh, is this what I've done this Ivy League MBA for? This largely <laughs> is what my job was. And I got into strategy completely by accident because after doing the advertising job, I became a client. I was a brand manager at uh, a luggage company called VIP. And I got into planning because we wanted to move to Bangalore. So we were in Mumbai and we were getting married and we didn't want to live in the same city as our parents because your weekends don't belong to you. We wanted to run away. So I wanted to get back to advertising and I wanted to be in Bangalore. So the only job that I found, which coincided with our more or less our wedding time, was in this agency called Bozelle. And it was not an account man job, which was what I was looking for. It was a planning job. It was an ad agency in Bangalore, that's all I cared for. So I said yes. And I ended up doing this planning job for two years. And in 2000, I joined J. Walter Thompson, JWT, Hindustan Thompson, as it was called at the time in Bangalore. And only two years after that job did I realize, oh, this planning thing is quite good for me. I'm enjoying it. So it took me nearly eight years of being at proper work to find the so-called calling. So it's not every time that you probably land your calling immediately. There were there were many hits and misses and I ended up in it by accident really. Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a really interesting point actually. I spoke to a good friend of mine, Jason, yesterday, who is um, embarking on a career change. He's a Michelin trained chef, but his he want, his dream is marketing. He wants to get into the agency world. And he was asking me what job role would be best to go for. But my answer really concluded that your best objective is to get into the agency. And I wouldn't worry too much about trying to define it as a role yet because you almost can't possibly know until you get in there where you might excel and where your interests lie. So that's encouraging to know it took eight years. That's spot on. It What you said reminds me of a cartoon strip, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, in which one of the one of the strips I remember saying, if you want to be at the right place at the right time, get to the right place and wait. Yeah. <laughs> and that's more or less what I, what I... That's one. I've never heard that. That's brilliant. I love that. So in your own words, you, you ran away to, to Bangalore. How, can I, actually, before we go into that, can I ask, what was it... How much value did you take from your experienced client side as a, as a brand manager? Because few people have that kind of 360 view, of both agency and client side. I'm always interested to find 
what you took from that and, and what your what your thoughts were then going from client back to agency? Oh, it was incredibly, incredibly valuable. I think there are many things, even from just the communication side of things, you realize how much the client actually depends on you. You don't quite realize it when you're in the agency. On the one hand, and on the other hand, you realize uh, that you are a pretty, I wouldn't say insignificant, that would be unfair, but you are only one of the cogs as marketing in a giant wheel where every part of the organization thinks that it's the most important part. There's manufacturing, R&D, sales, uh, finance, and so on and so forth. You, You are just one of the many parts. And you have to exercise politeness, begging, pleading, and other skills such, uh, similar to that in order to get stuff done. Whereas in an agency, you just escalate. And uh, three any job you have in an agency, two or three levels up max, you'll have escalated it to a point where that person will be able to tell everybody, you need to do this. But you can't do that in a client organization because you have to reach ridiculously uh, high levels in order for that to happen. So you have to just work your way around and persuade people. That was the other learning for me. You don't have much control over what others are doing. Yeah. That's key how how a business is kind of oriented. Marketing isn't the be all and end all. And, and as exactly as you say, maybe it's significance, but equally priorities aren't what the agency might believe they are. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll go back to my, my previous question was going to be, so you ran away to Bangalore. Did you run away to England? How, how, how did this happen? That's quite a, it's quite, it's quite a leap. So well put. It, interestingly, we probably ran away from Mumbai, but we definitely ran towards London. So there's no doubt about that. We had come to London and England, I guess. Uh, a lot of my, our close friends were here and we had our uh, son well after we came here. So in that time, both of us were in full-time jobs and what we do with our money. So we just traveled and uh, we just fell in love with London, uh, not just because some of our close friends were here, but I just loved the, one of our friends managed to get me in a, in a game in Guildford, uh, a Sunday game, which was just the that was a tipping point uh, and we said that we've got to be here so that was a dream and uh, we are living the dream i wouldn't leave london for anything it's just fabulous absolutely love it so so that was a cricket game in guildford it was a cricket game yes and so cricket played a part in your in your decision making actually no it's a nice thought to have but obviously <laughs> the, the the proverbial icing on the cake but the thing was that in Bangalore both of us in our careers were really happy and really settled and doing really well and we both knew that there's only one shot at doing a control alt delete on our lives and moving somewhere else and starting over Uh, and that shot is before we have kids so we wanted to do it before starting family so that was the chance and uh, it took me two and a half years of knocking, banging my fists and kicking on doors and screaming and all of that uh, to get here. But eventually they gave up and I I got a transfer. (laughs) Was there anything challenging about the move? So both with your JWT hat on, but equally personally, because that must be quite uh, quite a challenge. I think the 
the initial two years, I, in my role, found more similarities and differences because I guess the bigger difference was that our Bangalore office was about 60, 65 people and the JWT office was 450, 500 people. So the, the main difference is in the office size and I found lots of similarities, you know, clients being difficult, uh, creative people being unreasonable, uh, <laughs> account people being unreasonable and obviously planners being the only community that I could relate to. So, and, and, and more and more of that. So jokes aside, I found lots of similarities initially. And then I realized the, the difference between a relatively more direct culture back home where if you've done badly, if things have gone badly, you will know immediately. But I had to learn to read into stuff and to actually look for things that were not said or things that were not done and the significance of those kind of things versus just someone saying to the agency's face, you know, if you have a meeting like this again, you're fired. And we would go, oh, okay, that's uh, an amber alert then. But no one would say anything like that in uh, at a client level or even within the agency. So you, I had to work really hard to understand what was going on. That was a, a bigger, a bigger challenge. Yeah. Did you did you have a preference for either approach? If you asked me, it depends on when you're asking. If you ask me now, I definitely prefer this approach because I can read it. If you actually do an anagram of my full name, it anagrams to heed and harsh speak. Really? So, <laughs> I, yeah. So I and that's very true to me. I don't like confrontation, and I and I like casual, and I like politeness. So I definitely prefer this way around. But if you had asked me 14 years ago, the, the thing I was used to was more direct way of understanding whether things were going well or badly. It's great. Obviously, you had the continuity that JWT offered and also the, the planning role and, and, and all of the similarities that you mentioned, aside from the, the physical size of the office and, and, and the headcount. What, what kept you at JWT? Because you were there for nearly two decades. I was there 19 years, wasn't I? So. It took me, again, it took me a while to, to look for something else. But what year are we talking about? Maybe about 2015 or 2016. Uh, I was fast realizing that I am, as an individual, growing in influence. And the advertising agency as an entity is declining in influence. So I needed to be somewhere where I would spend the next 10 to 15 years in a in a mutually beneficial organization where my influence was benefiting the company and the company itself was more and more influential on marketing rather than less. So I took a pretty you know, a tough call of deciding to go further upstream in my career and look for areas and roles that did not involve creative work much as all of us uh, probably got into advertising because of it because that would be i i felt that that would be my sweet spot and then when you're a bit grown up it's a question of meeting as many people as possible uh, and having as many coffees as possible and then one day somebody calls you and this is what happened i uh, had a, a wonderful guy ian crocombe who i had met and then I never heard from him for 15 months. 
And then suddenly he called me and said, there's a new role coming up. Based on our conversations, I think you'd be a great candidate. Are you interested? And then I was hired. Amazing. And so can you explain what your role actually involves now at, at, at Facebook? Pick any lofty word and stick it on my role and it probably makes sense. So <laughs> it's called strategic partnership, strategy and thought leadership. But we have a team called a global clients and categories team. And our our job is to help uh, more and more uh, clients be as successful as possible. But that is a global clients team. And what I do is think of me as the strategist or the planner for a team that is full of very smart uh, business directors running big businesses. So there are certain upstream questions. For example, one of the recent pieces of work I've done is uh, how do you accelerate demand for electric cars? And I would come up with a perspective on that. Or what would our point of view be on influencer marketing or on e-commerce and how it's changing, how people are behaving and so on and so forth. So these are some of the more upstream subjects or areas that I work on uh, getting a perspective on, a point of view on that helps clients, that helps our clients and, uh, and potentially then to go beyond just the global clients team as well. I suppose, broadly speaking, you're still responding to briefs as much as you would in an agency world. But that particular example you just gave, how do you accelerate demand in electric cars? I mean, that, that as an example, sounds fascinating. And, and so the processes might not differ hugely, but there must be lots of differences to the more standard agency life at, at JWT. Are the processes similar, the same, or are they quite different in how you might approach that? Wow. I mean, the, how long have you got? <laughs> it's very, very, very different. I think the I would spend a lot more time on doing the upfront bit, and I would do it with the intention of solving problems, but solving them more long term. And in an agency world, uh, my job would be sometimes to do just the upstream, but the output is always a creative and it's an idea. So you, most of the time, you need to solve for it immediately, as you know, anyway. The process, interestingly, the process is, it would not be, uh, would not be that different. Uh, we would, like all strategy people or planners, we would go out and look for as much information from as many different perspectives as possible. And then we would, you know, we would churn all of that and then come up with a point of view that is uh, simple and compelling and uh, and useful to clients, most importantly. And it makes, uh, if you spend 45 minutes talking about it, the other person has to go, okay, that was useful to me. I think I can do a better job thanks to these 45 minutes. If that's the result, then it's success. And if that's not the result, it doesn't matter if that was a waste of time. So from that perspective, a, a fairly similar. And the I guess the difference is that some of the data points that we would use would be internal as well, which I may not have access to. I may not have had access to from an agency's perspective. And how does it feel working for a company like Facebook? Because on one hand, you could probably still put a case that they're a startup of sorts, albeit 
that's you know not by size certainly but the, but but the what i mean by that is the speed of growth and 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 evolution within the business must must almost have the best of both worlds you've got a, a huge you know resource rich entity but i imagine there's a lot of pace within as well is that right spot on that's spot on i think the um the, the difference can be explained by a really new company in a growing industry versus an old company the oldest company jwt is the oldest agency uh, the an old company in a shrinking industry and if, if you see th- these two th- there's that probably explains everything and the first thing that hits you is the more tangible stuff that is visible to the naked eye the canteen and the sweets wall and and just the 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 stuff that is uh, that is given away and more freely available and as you spend a few months you start realizing that the stuff that's underneath that is far more important which is the culture and because and i'm not saying the previous company is bad i spent 20 years there and i absolutely love the place i'm a jwt child but because in a shrinking corporate environment it forces people to think about market share and think about grabbing growth from somewhere else uh, as if it's a zero sum game whereas in this company in this environment you just have to do a good job and you will grow and your your role will grow so you do not feel at any point the need to have someone else's lunch and that has profound implications on how people are with one another they uh, happily share relationships they share their ip uh, whatever work they've done they go here you can have it do whatever you like with it and that initially came as a, a real shock to me and i would always go hang on a minute why have you given this to me what do you really want and then after a few months i realized they don't want anything they just gave it to you because you asked for it <laughs> and then the same thing is expected back as well so that took me a longer time to adjust to and anybody would much rather be in this environment obviously yeah i mean you've just reminded me of your story about how life was different agency side in terms of in, in bangalore and people were typically more direct there's another shift there isn't there it's almost there's there's kind of parallels there in a way i'm i guess the agency world in the 60s and the 90s to some extent but would have would have probably been similar very very similar it's just Uh, to a large extent a factor of uh, how the company and the industry is growing isn't it and what's your team like so i um i can't claim to know gareth particularly well but it doesn't stop me being a huge fan of him not least his amazing ipa sa think long but gareth works as part of your team am i right yes he does it the in london there's just a team of gareth and me and there's uh, another guy in new york so there are just three of us at the moment but uh, you know we are uh, we are dealing with it as best as we can and it's great fun it's great fun so mentioning um gareth there and and yourself one of the other links i suppose i have is you both very generously donated an isolated talk not so long ago and and you talk about being the best strategist you can be and for those who are listening who haven't watched that yet we will we'll link to that in this episode and I really urge you to watch it because it's far better coming from Shaker than it is from me but one thing that stands out for me on your talk is you talk about half of the role of being a strategist 
is learning strategy and the other half is the individual the strategist themselves can you can you share a bit more about that and what you mean by that because it's really interesting oh yeah absolutely i mean there there comes a point i guess in everyone's career where you the person will be doing much more of the heavy lifting in your career and having an impact in uh, whatever influence that you're having versus the knowledge that you're acquiring or the skills that you possess ultimately it's your ability to lead and that can only be acquired or honed by a discovering your own strengths and what your gifts are and b discovering your personality and really being comfortable with it so that would be that's been such a interest such an interesting journey for me because when you're on the other side i guess when you're younger you somehow think oh people in their 40s they must be so much smarter they must know so much more and you think there's an endless cornucopia of knowledge and that you keep absorbing it and the more you absorb it the better you will get and the more you'll grow and then there comes a point where you realize that it's really not that way and for me it came in relatively you mentioned the video so i won't repeat what's in the video but for me it came in a relatively challenging environment but even if you're not you know at at the risk of losing your job you will realize that beyond this point pushing it in your career goes down to personality it's not down to skill and that because the, the most most roles in a senior job have to do with leadership it doesn't matter whether that leadership is just intellectual leadership or whether it's leadership of uh, people or whether it's leadership of large organizations ultimately you are going to take decisions for which there is no certain outcome and in order to get a lot of people behind that decisions you have to be absolutely convinced that it is the right one and for that conviction to show you have to be comfortable with yourself and you have to be really enjoying what you do i think so you got to be all the time you got to be stretched and you got to be motivated and these these things happen when you become comfortable with who you are and in my case i realized and this may or may not apply to everybody but i realized that if you are pretty open about who you are pretty open about what really drives you and also how you drive which is you know this is my style for example i don't like confrontation i don't like to react to something immediately that's not my best reaction i would give you a better reaction in two days time or in one day time that is more helpful when you're just open about it and you tell everybody that's your style people create that space for you and when you feel comfortable with yourself you can do exponentially higher things and better things and you can do things exponentially better that's what i've discovered wise word it's almost a state of humility that there isn't necessarily a right way it's 
it's that mindset, isn't it? Good friend and, and past guest Colin Lewis talks about the marketing mindset. And I think he means it's that side of things like you so brilliantly articulate is half of it is actually knowing the job and learning strategy but the other half is is you and understanding you yeah i think it, it is it is quite liberating as well because you realize that you this is how i am and the fundamentals of this are unlikely to change so you uh, the more comfortable you are with it and you'll find a lot of a lot of people talk about it a lot of people quite happily uh, talk about what they're good at and what they're actually rubbish at and and that's fine and they're okay with it and that's how they uh, they begin to grow i think the path from being decent and being excellent just at your work to actually having massive impact uh, has more to do with how you come across and i i have a feeling i've only ever worked in marketing i've not worked in any other industry but i have a feeling that it's more important in marketing because to to quote our uh, our friend rory sutherland the opposite of a good idea is also a good idea so therefore uh, how on earth are you going to decide which way to go and if you are able to be convincing if you are able to be convinced and if you are able to create that sense of confidence in yourself firstly and in other people you get that reassurance from everybody else by looking at this person and seeing how convinced she or he or they are about this particular decision it gives me some assurance that this is going to go well and then you take that call and then you uh, hope for the best but you never know whether it's going to work or not because as we say you there is no mathematical formula for it the job is to persuade people to feel confident enough to do something and in order to do that if you're not comfortable with yourself you're going to struggle to persuade others eventually and that that's been my journey at least yeah it's music to my ears you never know if it's going to work or not i love that I, I wish I wish more agencies would would admit that too. <laughs> they do, don't they? But in a closed room. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they do. But I think it's a strong lead. It's a strong lead. I read a great article uh, a few years ago, and the essence of the whole article was that that it's it's the decision making process that's tied to strategy. And yes, um, the value an agency or, or a group of people in whatever walk of life might have is years of experience and intelligence. But ultimately. We can never be sure if something's gonna gonna work or not. I think Ogilvy classically said something about just because an idea worked before, for that very reason, it may not work again because it's lost originality. And I think that's the kind of caveat that people need to, like you say, it can be quite liberating. I think this is also equally liberating. If everybody caveated almost everything they did and said with that, but explained why they think something will work to give that confidence it would be a much a much better place for for practicing yes absolutely uh, there there are six words that my boss guy murphy has taught me which are probably the most precious six words for me which is how is this going to work you don't have to know you just have to have a plan and don't just tell me it's brilliant don't just tell me our most senior person loves it and therefore somebody needs to buy it have a theory on how is this going to work and if you've come up with a theory then you've probably thought about it a lot and then you know what effect you're expecting 
And it doesn't just apply to creative work. It applies to the presentation. I mean, what is the response you're expecting? And from that response, what are you hoping will happen? If you have a plan on that, then you've probably thought it through. And that's that's the most important way of ascertaining whether you know whether you're confident about something or not. Fantastic! Yeah, it is a plan. It is a plan. So strategy is essentially making decisions and having having that plan. What's what's the future of strategy then? Because you've written a great article for Walk about is it time to set strategy free? What what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that was uh, from an agency's perspective, obviously. I was at JWT back then, and I I strongly felt that. So if you go back uh, many many decades, when the media business was disassociated with the creative business. And I think I've, I've read someone uh, who has said more or less the same thing, but the, the, the opportunity was to go beyond just advertising. The opportunity was to become creative problem solvers. Is, isn't it Rory who said that? I could be wrong. And... I felt like that was that was just brilliant. And I felt like, okay, this is actually what has happened. And in the time where the strategy uh, function was set up, strategy, one way of looking at strategy could be that it is upstream creativity. It is, as Stephen King, the great man himself said, strategic imagination on a grand scale. The key word there is imagination is not logic, it's not calculation, and it's not any of that. So if your job is to to do upstream creativity rather than midstream or downstream creativity, ultimately that can be applied for things other than just advertising. It can be applied for things other than just messaging. And I realized that we as a creative agency world especially the top 20, 30 agencies, they have done the opposite of what Byron Sharp suggests. I mean, we have done the opposite of trying to increase our penetration. We, we did not go after the world of business, let's say, as defined by annual turnover. If you look at the top 20, 25 agencies, if as a client, your annual turnover was, let's say, lower than 1 billion, the agencies were not interested. They couldn't talk to you. And what about the thousands of companies whose annual turnover potentially is $5 million, 200 to 500 And if they just want some solutions from really creative people by giving them two days of their time, three days of their time, a week of their time, then why would we not want to solve for that? And of course, that applies equally to creative people as well and not just to strategists. But I increasingly felt that there was an opportunity there. And uh, we, as I've said in the article, we kind of ended up selling strategy as uh, if, if you imagine Waitrose saying, well, okay, you come here, for our cheese and you love our cheese but you can only have access to the cheese section if you commit to buying waitrose own label sugar and cereal for the rest of the year 
and then we can let you in the cheese section uh, that that was more or less the pricing model where if you bought enough creative talent in enough creative work for a year then the agency would say oh this is this is a high paying customer so we're going to throw some planning in for you and it's just that's the reason why i felt that planning was only in service of its creative sibling but what if the imagination and the kind of upstream creativity could be used in increasing penetration in creating bite sized smaller solutions where you didn't necessarily spend 6 months working on one campaign spent 6 days trying to help a business that has five shops 100 million dollars of revenue 50 million dollars of revenue why not uh, and and we could have uh, we could have grown our business that way i feel but somehow we ended up not doing it yeah no so you articulated that really well and I, and you're right i have heard rory make similar kind of arguments and of course you're right i mean if we are if we're pitching ourselves as a collective of creative thinkers why should that be prohibited by businesses turnover position and and even the the stage that that business is at in terms of growth because actually there must be a plethora of really exciting businesses who are only you know two or three years away from enjoying that type of success and our role could be instrumental in accelerating that totally and partly partly what i like about my job now is that in an agency world invariably what you're doing is your greatest success probably means someone else's defeat where if i work for uh, one particular company then i am trying to gain market share for it at the expense of someone else but here i feel like i'm here to help everybody i don't have necessarily competition and that's the other liberating thing that i like about it yeah um, i've a couple of listener questions for you shaker go for it asking the general public for their opinion be it on brexit or boat names is notoriously fraught with danger but we do have two to put to you i'm going to start with luke actually this is a good one so luke says i understand you're a singer songwriter is there any relationship between the process and creativity of this and the fundamentals of of planning and strategy the short answer is yes and i've had the good fortune of being at both ends of it so i've always been a singer guitarist but i've not been a songwriter forever so i started writing my own songs maybe in 2008 uh, after one night when uh, close friends we were all jamming in uh, in surrey uh, in in the house and at 4 in the morning we were all saying we're all in our 30s now and we're still singing other people's songs shouldn't we be writing our own songs and that discussion ended and about a month later every one of us started writing our own songs it's just bizarre so when i started writing my own songs it took me a year maybe 18 months to realize that when i'm writing a creative brief on a monday i would look at the brief and go wait a minute how is this sentence going to help my creative team how is this going to help the creative director and i realized that every single bit of the brief either needed to be helpful to the creative team or it needed to not be there and that i can directly correlate to my songwriting process because now i'm a i'm being i'm 
stepping in the shoes of that creative team, perhaps. And every time I get some input, so in, in my case, Monica is my planner uh, in songwriting. And uh, she would go, okay, I've heard these two verses, three verses. The point you're trying to make is? And I would go, oh, God. Okay, I'll have to drop the pen and think about this for three days now. But that's the kind of question that's helpful. And a lot of times, even if I play the song to somebody and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I loved it. And I like this and I like that. I'll go, okay, that's not really helped me make it better. So what is going to help me make this better is the the only reason why a creative brief exists, as, as the one and only John Steele says in his book. And I started writing creative briefs from that perspective after becoming a creative person myself. And that I think that perspective is really important. And that's why whenever I do classes for the APG, I tell, I tell as many people as I can, whatever your thing is, do something creative yourself so that you can step in the shoes of a creative person, understand what it feels to get input that is helpful versus getting input that's not helpful. So that's it, it's been serendipitous, but it's been a really useful, important journey for me. That's excellent. Brilliant. That's a great, great answer. The second question should be quite comfortable for you. So I mentioned on your in, in your intro that you, you, you're a mentor and you mentor and train, as you just mentioned then, for the APG, IPA, Marketing Academy, the brilliant School of Communication Arts, and I'm sure, I'm sure many more. So question two is from Asha, and, and she asked, do you have any advice for new starters in the industry, particularly given the current circumstances? Oh, boy. Given the current circumstances, are you sure you want to join the industry today? Is the first question. I guess I want to go back to some of some of the real simple fundamentals of what marketing is and what bit of that you're interested in. So one view of looking at marketing is that it, it's essentially uh, taking a need or a product. Because, you know, sometimes you just come up with an innovation and a product that people don't necessarily need, like an iPod or an iPhone, for example. But you're taking a need and a product and persuading people to want it. And ultimately, that's all it is. There's nothing much more to it than that. And so why would people buy something? And how do people behave how can they be persuaded? The fact that subjectivity and to go back to Rory, the, uh, the opposite of a good idea can be a good idea. The fact that a lot of creativity is involved in, in persuading people uh, to do X and not do Y. And at the moment, I, I guess the, the, predominant, the predominant mechanism for doing all of this in a profitable and commercial way is uh, the brand and the brand we must remember that the brand predates marketing jesus is a brand julius caesar is a brand plato is a brand diogenes is a brand so these things have existed they are very very strongly held beliefs and points of view that find followers and fans and people identify with them uh, and therefore, the, the holy 
trinity of the marketing business therefore would be do you understand how people behave uh, the fact that they don't always behave rationally what drives them and so on and so forth do you understand the business of ideas because ultimately a product or a line or a welcome line or any of the behavioral economic stuff folding the envelope on the long side rather than the short side stuff like that these are these are little little things that can make a big difference so being interested in that and ultimately being interested in a form of business and how does business work and how does marketing work i think as long as you are at one of these three places you don't have to be good at all three you have to be interested in all three and you have to be good at one of them or become good at one of them you'll be fine and if what you're doing is not serving any of these three then you should probably get closer to it and get as close to it as possible because these are the fundamentals that will not change uh, no matter what the environment is and no matter where the advertising dollars are spent and how brands are being leveraged by big companies by small companies etc etc these are probably the fundamentals that will not shift and 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 how should people choose if they're having to choose between say those those three things is is it would you suggest it's just a case of what you're most interested in i i guess a case of what you're most interested in and what you're getting at that time I mean, just take take what you get it doesn't matter and i always feel like there is a kind of a central hub of marketing and nothing is more than one spoke away so if you're in insights and you join a research agency you want to get into a client side that's one one skip away uh, you want to get into the agency side that's one skip away so you will always find what you do has some commonality with the dream organization that you want to go next to there will always be one thing that is common so i wouldn't worry too much about the interoperability or the transferable skills uh, as long as it's doing one of these fundamental things just stay with it and get good at it i love, I love the idea of it being one skip away because you, you're absolutely right the final part of the interview is our four pertinent poses then that we put to all of our guests that starts with what advice would you give to your younger self i would say for my younger self just express your feelings more just say what you are feeling more i was a very awkward young person and i always thought that i would embarrass myself and what will people think of me if i say this and i just didn't say what i felt at the time interestingly thank goodness my son who's nearly 9 uh he's not like that he just says what he <laughs> feels and i i feel like dude if i was only like you when i was 20 life would have been so much better <laughs> so that that i would say just just say what you feel a lot more and i would have had a, a better time i think good advice i um, mean number 2 if you could banish one thing from the industry what would it be and why pitches no doubt about that i cannot express strongly enough how much i hate a bore and detest pitches and the reason for that is that this is the only place the only industry where we spend a half a million pounds half a million dollars in a completely speculative bid 
in order to try and win a piece of business that after having spent all of that will probably take us two to three years to break even. The client is at full liberty to fire us at any point in time. And you can multiply that half million dollar worth of investment times eight, because there might be a short list of eight agencies, all of which are very, very well-known household names in our industry. And they would absolutely go hell for leather, bend over backwards, just punish ourselves and work crazy hours, not see our families for weeks, and then go, we were really impressed. We were really impressed. Just the other agency had you know, a better idea. So there's no such thing as a silver medal. You uh, you just crash out and all that money is gone. All that effort is gone. And the client has eight beautifully bespoke constructed solutions uh, from which they can choose one. If you, if you take the parallel of, uh, let's take a, a restaurant as a parallel. You go to a restaurant and go, hey, I hear you're a Michelin star restaurant. I'm here to check you out. And they would go, welcome, welcome, welcome. We, we've got the best table reserved for you. And uh, we've got a seven course meal laid out for you. And they would go, uh, here's absolutely everything. And in the end, they would say, I, I really hope you liked our experience. Uh, and if you come next time, you can pay. That's the equivalent of what we do. And it's just absolute nonsense. I have no idea why the greats of the industry did not come together 20, 25 years ago and all of the holding companies did not come together and, and go, we've got to stop this. We must, uh, let's say, agree that no agency will spend more than 25000 on any pitch whatsoever or we will we will spend two or three days in work workshopping a problem with you and then you can decide so that's essentially just two days of our time three days of our time and so on and so forth there are other solutions other ways of helping a client understand what agency they want to go with I mean, you don't necessarily get married to five people and then choose the person that you're going to marry this is just nonsense it has to stop. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, if you could see how happy I am for your answer there, Shaker, I, I adore you for, for giving us that answer. The world that I operate in from an agency perspective is is, is going to be vastly different to your 20-year experience at, at JWT, simply because we're a very small independent. But from my perspective, the, the, the conditions of pitches often prohibit the conditions required for good strategy anyway, therefore it becomes just through lack of resource lack of time lack of research and therefore it becomes more of a beauty pageant type process and therefore that then both cheapens what it is we do and it also sets a really dangerous precedent to start a relationship with a with a business that hasn't necessarily accounted for any of your time and expertise totally totally it's 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 dangerous it's dangerous right well that's a great point well made Number three, then, uh, is, is are there any books you can recommend to our listeners? And this can be industry-related or fiction. We're, we're wide open. I would, in, in recent times, and this is, uh, I'm making a confession that Monica has been pushing me to read this book for uh, 
close to 25 years and I've only got around to it this year. But a book called Roots by Alex Haley, where he charts his ancestry going back to the mid 1700s in Gambia and how his ancestor seven generations ago was you know, brought to the USA as a slave. And that book is as profound as anything can be. Uh, it, it is just the, the story of the story of how perhaps tens of thousands of those wonderful people who've been brought from there into the USA or elsewhere and how their lives have been. It's just, I cannot describe how moving and profound it is in words. So I, I would highly recommend that. In, in the new world of podcasting, I've become a fan of, somewhat a fan of history. So I uh, heard this the book, The Silk Roads by Peter Frankopan. And uh, I was blown away by it because it essentially charts the history of uh, between roughly 300 AD to present day. There are many parts of history that are uh, less well recorded and it charts through some of that, which is fantastic. I would probably say that the one of the best books I've ever read is Illusions by Richard Bach. Uh, it's been close to 30 years since I read it, but it's such a short 100-odd page book. Very, very profound. I loved it. I would go Born a Crime by Trevor Noah and again, make sure that it's an audio book because he narrates it himself and then you hear a lot of the African languages that he's really fluent at, which is fantastic. And I would say a couple more. There's a great podcast called We Need to Talk About the British Empire by Afwa Hirsch. And I, that was really moving for me. And finally, I know you and I are big fans already, but Alchemy. And as you said to me earlier on, the audio version of Alchemy as well. But yeah. and anything, Rory Sutherland, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, anything. Just, if you get 10 minutes of Rory Sutherland, take it. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Fully agree as, as well as well you know and as well as the listeners know. Amazing. Well, there's, some, there's some great books there, some excellent recommendations. And, and I don't think any of those, I think Silk Roads may have come up before, but no, I don't, I don't. I think they're all they're all new. So that's fantastic. So we will link to all of those in this episode's listing. And we'll also link to your brilliant isolated talk too. So number four then, uh, Shekhar, is we always dedicate every episode to somebody and we bestow that honour or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guest who has to give the reason why. So would you kindly dedicate this episode? I would dedicate it to a lady called Kate Bruges. And we talked about moving to London uh, a while ago. And so Kate was the uh, head of talent in the London office. And because we uh, managed to win the Nike business back in Bangalore, I got put on some program where we were all flown into New York and uh, that's when I met Kate for the first time. And I said, Kate, I desperately want to move to London. Please, can you help me? And she was running the program uh, at the time for some 25, 30 of us. And then she moved heaven and earth to get me there, knowing fully well that she was not going to gain anything from it. And I was going to gain everything. And there were many, many difficult times where we, our Indian CEO at the time bless him, he said, there are 50 planners, you can have any one of them, but not him, because he's running the Nike business and it's very important to us. And that was the opposite of what I wanted. So it was very, very difficult to kind of navigate all of that. And it took over a year, well over a year, she just did not give up. Finally, she got our global CEO to persuade our Indian CEO. So Bob Jeffrey got involved 
and then she would not give up and she got me the transfer to london none of this would ever be possible without her so without a shadow of doubt she would be the person i dedicate all of this to that's a brilliant brilliant story well this episode is very proudly dedicated to kate then that's wonderful wow it's amazing isn't it how nice people can be when you ask for help absolutely absolutely uh Shekhar, thank you so much for joining us I've, I've enjoyed this even more than i knew i would um and it's been a real a real pleasure to to talk likewise guys thank you for having me and uh, uh and really enjoyed it as well as a final call to action how, how else can people get more Shekhar dishpandi I'm not very good at it, am I? I? This is really something I should do more of. I should write more. I should uh, speak more. But I guess keep, keep uh, looking me up on LinkedIn. And uh, you can get more of me by actually just getting in touch with me. And uh, I would definitely uh, take you up for a coffee if you want to have a chat. Amazing. Well, you, well, you heard it here. You get in touch. Get in touch. You, you certainly won't regret it. Um, so thank thank you once more. It's It's been a real pleasure. Thank you to everybody listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please, please do share it and review the pod. Keep questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's really easy to find us online. You can check out CTA pod on Instagram or just email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try and I try.